Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, uh, we're going to jump into the Word, and uh, if you are joining us for the first time, welcome to the second week of a series that we just started last weekend uh, that we are calling Bewitched, Good News Gone Bad. And uh, if you were not here last weekend, I want to encourage you to go back and check out the YouTube, check out the podcast. Um, As we normally do during the first week of a series, we established the foundation uh, for what we're going to be discussing in the coming weeks, uh, specifically the purpose of the book of Galatians and how it is uh, informative in the church's history. And so please go back and check that out. Uh, but for those who maybe weren't here last week or would never go back and listen to a podcast and a YouTube, uh, or uh, for those that are joining us for the first time, let me give you the brief Cliff Notes version of the sermon so that we have some framework to operate by today as we get into uh, the word. Um, the book of Galatians is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a very young church. Uh, specifically, it's a letter that was uh, used to correct some wrong thinking, some bad doctrine. That, has made it, that had made its way into the church at that time. Uh, the church was made up of Jews and non-Jewish people, and uh, they had very differing views about what was necessary for Jesus to save somebody, what was required of people for salvation. The Jewish people uh, still operated under an old school mindset that there was a law that people had to live by, a number of rules and regulations, some dietary restrictions, circumcision, all kinds of interesting things that were required of people in order for God to accept them. But Paul came in and he began to teach something contrary to their normal thinking. In fact, it was the gospel that Jesus presented himself, that only faith is required of people. If they place their faith and their trust in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, then he would save them right then and there, regardless of what their condition was, regardless of what their behavior was. Ephesians chapter two says, uh, verse eight says that by grace, you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves, not that we did anything to deserve it, lest we'd have a reason to boast. Just faith alone is what saves us. And that is what Paul began to remind the church of in this letter as he begins to correct this wrong thinking that had made its way back into the church. And uh, our main scripture, the the key thought we've been looking at is in Galatians chapter three, verse one, which is where we get the title for the series, uh, where Paul writes, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course you didn't. You received the Spirit because you believed the message, you had faith in the message that you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And as I said last weekend, those last couple of sentences there, they they really do describe the frustration that Paul had in his heart as he was witnessing this unfold in the Galatian church. When he says, after starting this life in the spirit, why are you now trying to make yourself perfect by your own human effort? In other words, if God's grace was enough to save you, how is it now not enough to sustain you? And ultimately, that was our thesis last week, that it is grace that calls us, it's grace that saves us, and it is grace that sustains us. It is the grace of Jesus that called you to him. It's the grace of Jesus that saved you through him. Come on, it's the grace of Jesus that sustains us in him. We are all here today by the grace of God. Even if we fell flat on our face in the parking lot in sin, when you flipped off that guy trying to take your parking spot, come on, it is his grace that is still sufficient for you today. Someone's like, you saw me? No, I didn't see you, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We got cameras everywhere. 
But ultimately, that is the gospel that we, uh, we reminded ourselves of last week as we began to study this book. So now having established this gospel of grace, we're going to look at Paul's next sentence here in the first chapter of this book, his introduction to the letter, where he begins to explain his rather aggressive posture towards any other gospel that would contradict the gospel that he was preaching. So as we get into that, let me give you a title and uh, we'll pray. By the way, I love this title and I, I think we're gonna have a lot of fun today in church. So buckle up, it's gonna be a good time. But I wanna call this one, Don't Wait to Marinate. Don't wait to marinate. Come on, turn to somebody next to you and tell them, don't wait to marinate. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for what you're doing in the house. Thank you for your presence. Uh, God, thank you that you are moving here in your church. And uh, this is not some dead rut, some religious routine that we gather in every single week. This is a living, breathing space where the Spirit of God is moving and active. Thank you that you are changing lives, ministering to hearts, setting people free, healing bodies. We're just, we're grateful for your movement in your house. And as we go to your word today, um, I pray that you would do what you always do, that you would use your word and the foolishness of preaching to get to the heart of where we're living today. And if we discover through the, the word of Christ today that there are things in our life that are out of alignment, I pray that you would correct us, you would adjust us, and that we would leave this place transformed, different than when we walked in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, Galatians chapter one, verse six. This is where we started last weekend. Paul says, I am shocked that you are so quickly turning away from God who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now that's where we ended. We're gonna continue on today in his next sentence where he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let them be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let them be accursed. So, so Paul has now graduated from frustration to cursing. He's cursing people in church. He's obviously very passionate about protecting the purity of the gospel. This is, this is a rather intense statement. I, I don't know that I have ever been accursed in church before. I've been cursed at in church before, but I've never been accursed in church before. Can I give you a 30 second story just for some fun today? Okay, even if you say no, I'm gonna do it anyway, it's great. So when I was a young leader uh, and at the church that we grew up in, um, I, I was kind of being mentored by a guy, a guy named Jason, and he was our missions pastor at the time. And Jason traveled the world and he saw some crazy stuff in ministry, went to some dark corners of the earth and uh, he, he prayed some big prayers and saw some stuff. And I, I used to love hearing his stories in ministry. Uh, but he would often invite me to come at the conclusion of a service and pray with him at the altar so that he could teach me as a young leader how to pray for people. And I remember one service, uh, there was a, a sermon on freedom specifically. And uh, at the conclusion of the service, there was an opportunity for people to come forward and receive prayer to get set free from some certain things in their life. And so uh, at the conclusion, I came forward with him and he's like, all right, ready to go, bud? We're gonna pray for some people. I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. I'm praying with the missions guy. It's gonna get cray cray. So people start coming forward and they're receiving prayer. And this one guy walks up and, and he is obviously dealing with some critters. I don't know if he was possessed or oppressed or what the deal was, but he clearly had some, some, some guys hanging on in his life, all right? And so he comes forward and he begins to tell us what he needs freedom from. And, and Jason looks at me, he's like, here we go. So we lay hands on this guy and we start praying. And I mean, immediately in the first couple of seconds, this guy just starts to get delivered and he's, he's getting set free. And this is, you know, stuff that you, you, you only see on TV or in Pentecostal churches. And I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. 
And after about three minutes, the guy went from like twitching and crazy to just calm. It was like, he was like, okay. Kind of like the demoniac in the graveyard with, with Jesus. It was like this moment of clarity for him. But apparently the missions pastor didn't feel like we were done praying yet. And so he looked at the guy and he said, hey, I'd like to continue to pray, but I want you to pray for your freedom. It's one thing for me to pray for you, but I want you to begin to declare what you believe God is going to set you free from. And so he's like, okay, uh, I'm gonna start praying. So the guy starts kind of timidly. He's like, you know, thank you, Jesus, that you're setting me free. And he's like, no, come on, be specific. And so, I mean, this guy just starts getting fired up. He's like, I declare in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, Father God, Father God, I pray, Father God. You know, he's like, ah, he's going for it. And then the missions guy, he's like, I want you Come on, you need to curse the devil. Just start cursing the devil. And the guy's like, you want me to curse the devil? He's like, yeah, I want you to curse the devil. He's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. He's like, all right. You bleepity bleepity bleeping devil, you mother Like he just starts going for it. He is cussing out the devil at the altars. And I'm like, yeah. This is the most sanctified cussing I've ever heard in my life. I'm like, I know Jesus is in heaven. Like, yeah, that's my boy right there. Just going for it. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about in this scripture. <laughs> I don't think he's like, hey, if anyone preaches the gospel to you other than the gospel I'm preaching to you, you better cuss him out. Like that's, I don't think that's what he's talking about. But his statement is still incredibly aggressive when we understand what he's saying in the original language here. This is not a passive moment for Paul. Check out what this word accursed means in the Greek. In the Greek, it is the word anathema, and it means without hope of redemption, doomed to destruction, damned or devoted to the direst of woes. Devoted to the direst of woes. Very Shakespearean definition. That's intense. That, that is not just some, ah, no big deal. Like Paul is angry here. To put it literally, and I'm sorry if this sounds offensive or like I'm you know, saying something I shouldn't say in church, but this is literally what Paul's saying. By definition, he is saying to anyone who preaches a gospel other than the true gospel, other than the gospel of grace, may they and their, be and their gospel be damned to hell. Think about that. Literally, in writing, in the Bible, he's like, to hell with them and their gospel. Who's cussing in church now, Paul? He's angry. He's taking this very seriously. This is not a, some kind of like passive ignoring, ignoring of, of a gospel that isn't the gospel of grace. This this is not like, okay, well, this church believes one thing and I don't really align with their doctrine, so I'm gonna just go to a different church that believes maybe my version of the gospel of grace. This isn't, you believe what you wanna believe and I'm gonna believe what I wanna believe and then one day we'll sort it out when we get to heaven. No, that's not what he's doing here. This is intentional, aggressive, vehement opposition to any other gospel but the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. He is taking a very serious stance. If anyone preaches anything other than the purity of that gospel, may they be accursed to hell with them and their gospel. Now, if Paul is that serious about protecting the sanctity of the gospel, then I think we need to consider a question, at least a question that rises up in my heart. And a question that I think the, the body of Christ at large probably needs to consider right now, because as I said last weekend, history has a way of repeating itself. And the problems in the Galatian church are not unique to the Galatian church. They still exist in the church today. And if that be the case, then here's a question I want all of us to consider. Am I accepting something that I should be rejecting? If, if Paul is refusing to even give airtime 
to anything other than the gospel? Have we, as the body of Christ, accepted any version of the gospel that we should be rejecting today? Now, that might sound like a relatively easy question to answer. In fact, it might even sound hauntingly similar to the question that I asked last weekend, is my gospel the gospel? But let me explain to you why I think that's a very difficult question for the church to answer. The devil is a very good liar. All he does is lie. Jesus says in John chapter eight, he is the father of lies. And as the father of lies, every time he speaks, he cannot help but lie because lying is consistent with the nature of his character. All he is, is a liar, liar, pants on fire, literally in hell. He's a liar, but he's cunning about it. The devil has the ability to package lies and make them look a lot like the truth. A, a collection of truths peppered with some lies baked in there in hopes that you might buy into his version of what looks like truth, but in fact, it's filled with lies. He's done that throughout the centuries. He's a really, really good liar. In fact, look at what uh, Martin Luther, the theologian writes. He says, note the resourcefulness of the devil. Heretics don't advise their errors. Murderers, adulterers, thieves, they disguise themselves. So the devil masquerades all these devices and activities. He puts on white to make himself look like an angel of light. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, Satan himself disguised himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants do the exact same thing. Translation, the enemy is really good at making himself look like the truth, even though he's throwing some lies at you. And this is what he's always done. He is not original in his approach. He repeats the same tactic over and over and over again. He did it to the Galatian church and he does it to the American church and the church of Jesus Christ at large today. In their day, it wasn't some overt opposition of the gospel that that began to sway the minds and hearts of the, of the Galatians. They weren't denying God. They weren't denying that Jesus existed. They didn't come in and preach, well, you know, that Jesus guy you believed in, he didn't really die for your sins. No, no, no. They majored on some of the majors. Oh yeah, Jesus died and he gave his life and because of his death and resurrection, there's forgiveness of sins. But then they begin to add to that gospel. They put a few more spices in the mix. And before the Galatians even realized what was happening, they had begun to accept this version of the gospel that looked true, but it was filled with some lies. They began to marinate in the surrounding version of the gospel without realizing that that sauce started to get into their spirit. There were some things that began to bleed into their hearts and minds that they should have been rejecting. And I can't help but wonder if the church does not find herself in a similar state today. If the church does not find herself in a place where there's some things that are beginning to seep into the hearts and minds of believers based on what we're marinating in around us, based on what's surrounding us. We are marinating in a menagerie of messages. And I wonder if some of them have made their way into our hearts. Uh, allow me to illustrate. Um, how many of you in this room like a good barbecue? Anyone like a good barbecue? Hey, come on, somebody. Nothing like a tri-tip fresh off the grill or a little T-bone, 
a filet mignon. I love a, a piece of meat fresh off the fire. Or uh, for the vegans out there, nothing like a rubbery cube of tofu fresh off the grill, you know? Whatever you're into. Now, there's some, there's some varying philosophies when it comes to barbecue. This is my grandfather's apron. May God rest his soul. Some of us are purists. We like to taste the meat when we eat it. Come on, anyone just like a little salt and pepper, maybe butter, that's all I'm about to put on my meat. Any of you people here in the room today? Okay, a few of you guys, yeah, I wanna taste the meat. That's what I wanna do, I wanna taste its personality on my taste buds when I eat the cow. That's what I want. It's a little bit of meat. You like that, huh? Okay. That's all we want, just a little bit of salt on there and I, I wanna taste the purity of the meat. But then, then there's those of us who like a good marinade. Come on, where are my marinade people at? Yeah. The rest of us, I like it. Nothing like a piece of meat that's just been sitting in a marinade for like 48 hours or 48 days. You're like, yeah. Little lemon garlic, come on, cilantro, lime, chipotle some Korean barbecue, some Southern barbecue, just sitting in there marinating in something for a little while. You know, what's interesting about a marinade is that you can take the exact same piece of meat and it can take on literally thousands of different flavors depending on what it's sitting in. Depending on what you add to this bag, you can change the entire flavor, the profile of this meat. In fact, most marinades, they include some form of acid, uh, citrus or vinegar or wine, and that acid actually serves to break down the composition of the meat so that the very fibers of the meat itself can begin to receive whatever it's bathing in. Do you see what I'm saying here? <laughs> the gospel works exactly the same way, doesn't it? You can start off with a pure gospel, nothing but a little bit of salt to preserve it, but You take that same gospel, you put it in a bag, and you begin to allow it to marinate in all the messages and all the cultural persuasions and all the things that our world has to offer, and suddenly, it may not taste so pure any longer. Suddenly, it begins to take on the flavor of a number of different things around it instead of being preserved in the purity of its gospel state. Now today, because I love all of you, I've brought with me a number of marinades that exist out there in the world. Some marinades that you might be familiar with. And as we consider these marinades, I wonder if any of these have made their way into the hearts and minds of some people sitting in the room today. Uh, let's start with an easy one. We talked a lot about this one last week. The marinade gospel of dead religion. This is a, a marinade that teaches that you have to perform a certain way for God to accept you. Mm, look at that. If you uh, act a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way, dress a certain way, don't wear that, don't listen to that, don't talk to that, then God will accept you. But if you think you can come to God like that, you've got another thing coming. Uh, flavors for dead religion gospel include shame, guilt, condemnation, 
They are abundant in the mix. Uh, it ignores the scripture in Romans chapter eight, verse one, that says there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And instead it heaps a boatload of condemnation spice and guilt spice in there until you can taste it. Um, however, this is not a very popular one any longer. People are leaving this one on the shelf these days, namely people between the ages of 18 and 25 because their moms used to serve this one all the time when they were younger. And they got so sick and tired of eating from the dead religious marinade that they just said, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and leave that sucker on the shelf for a little bit. I don't really want this one anymore. If God's angry and he's condemning, then I'm gonna go a different direction. Some left the church completely, but many have actually traded this one in for a much more popular flavor that's available on the shelves today, uh, known as moral relativism. Ah, yeah. There's a little bit of that in there. Now, this is an interesting one, very, very popular. Uh, it's a gospel that teaches that truth is subjective. It's not objective. Truth is whatever you want it to be. In fact, truth is nothing more than a moving target, a sand that shifts with culture. And as culture changes, so should truth. As culture changes, so should the word of God. Surely God is not interested in having a group of people look at this archaic 2,000-year-old book and live by those old dead standards. No. This should modify, this should adjust, this should morph to the conditions of the culture rather than culture morphing to the conditions of the word of God. Like, this is, this is a, a marinade that many, many people are enjoying these days. Its flavors in, include my truth. Uh, they include biblical deconstructionism where people try to take the word of God and shut it down and make it work for their context instead of trying to adhere their lives to the timeless teachings of scripture. And actually, this is a marinade that I'm often asked if we carry here at the Father's house. People wonder, do you serve the, the, the moral relativism gospel here? Is that something that I can enjoy when I am sitting at the table of the Father's house? And I often tell people, I'm sorry, that's just not something we keep on the menu here. Um, we are progressive in our expression, but we are timeless in our doctrine. And I am not interested in manipulating the word of God to make it fit the current condition of our culture. I actually believe that this is still true. It is still the foundation we're supposed to live our lives on. And it still works, yes, even in 2021. You can go to another church, and I'm sure they'll serve some of that up, but not here at the Father's house. Not a spice we've got. Uh, another very popular one. <laughs> the gospel marinade of intolerance. Affectionately titled, Cancel Culture. Be careful with this one, it's really high in sodium, very salty. It also has a bit of a bite to it. Last time I tasted it, it left me um, uh, woke. Uh, it woke me right up, my taste. But um, anyway, uh, so this is a real popular one these days. Um, it teaches that if you don't agree with me and you don't align with my beliefs and my ideas, then I don't really want anything to do with you any longer. I'm sorry. Like, there is no room for objective conversation. There's no room for any discussion. You either get on my team or you get out of my life. Disagreement automatically equates to division with this particular gospel. I don't want anything to do with you. I would rather hang out with my small-minded group of myopic friends that think like me and talk like me while the rest of you go find your friends that think like you and talk like you and let's create a giant line in the sand where we can be divided instead of united which is the opposite of what scripture teaches. And I don't care if you've been my friend for a decade or we share the same DNA. This is a cultural moment that is way too important for us to pass by. So you are hashtag canceled. 
send all of your offended emails to david at the father's house <laughs> dot your mom. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> One more. Did he just say your mom? <laughs> what? <did> he... <laughs> How old is that guy? <laughs> Real mature. The political gospel. Oh, <laughs> you're like the sauce. Very popular gospel right now. One that teaches that your political beliefs must align with your spiritual beliefs and vice versa. Comes in a number of flavors. Donkey, elephant, fox, peacock, and most recently added, if you're feeling a little adventurous, QAnon. It's available out there on the shelves. Its preachers include politicians, bloggers, news anchors, and angry social media trolls that spend all of their time telling you how you should think politically online. And it's a gospel that is very loud and very aggressive. It's a gospel that might even go as far as to put its hand on the Bible that you say you believe in and claim that if you were truly a Christian, you would align with their political persuasions. They might even stand in front of your church and claim that they are a believer in Jesus Christ while their lifestyle and their political platform completely contradicts the teachings of scripture. And if you have the audacity to suggest that it's not, well, that's just not only anti-Christian, that's anti-American. These are the marinades, people. This is what our culture is stewing in right now. These are the, the surroundings that are trying to make their way into the pure meat of the gospel. And again, I ask you, have you accepted anything you should have rejected? Does any of this exist inside of us? Because if so, it, if this exists in our faith, we need to get as aggressive as Paul was at rejecting any other form of the gospel that is not founded on the truth of God's word. How do we do that? Paul gives us two thoughts out of this scripture, and I wanna land with these two thoughts, and you can apply them as necessary to your life. But if we are going to be those that are only capable of receiving what God has for us and don't receive what's happening around us, number one, we need to first know the truth. We need to know the truth. Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse 31, uh, to the people who believed in him, that's all of y'all, if you remain in my word, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you remain in my word, I rather like that word, remain. If you stay, if you don't disappear, but if you will just remain, for the sake of our illustration, if you will marinate in my word, then you will know the truth. You won't be swayed by any other persuasions out there. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Pardon me while I exhaust this analogy a little bit longer. I know that every analogy breaks down at some point, but I said a moment ago with this meat, if it remains long enough in this marinade, those flavors will begin to make their way into the very fibers of its being. 
It, it will completely affect once and for all the taste, the flavor of the meat. If this meat were to simply dip in and dip out and dip in and dip out, it would never remain long enough in the marinade to take upon itself the flavors, the personality, the convictions of what it's sitting in. But if it will just stay, if it will remain, then it cannot help but receive what's surrounding it. You will never receive the truth of the gospel. You will never be filled with the truth of the gospel unless you are willing to remain. If you dip in and out of church, if you dip in and out of the presence of God, if you dip in and out of the word of God, if you dip in and out of that small group and dip in and out of Christian community and dip in and out of worship, if you're just trying to get your weekly fix you're not remaining. And when you don't remain, the good stuff that God needs to get into your heart never has an opportunity to break down the fibers of the hard heart and the bad teaching and the cultural persuasions that need to be gone past in order to get that in your heart. You, you have to remain. Let me say it like this. You need to be pre-marinated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know those like Costco tri-tips? They've been sitting in that stuff for like God knows how long. You could dip that tri-tip into gasoline and it would still taste the way that it's supposed to taste because that marinade is deep into the fibers of that thing. Well, you need to be the same way, Christian. You need to be so filled with the things of God, so filled with the Spirit of God that there is not space for anything else in your life. As the title suggests, you cannot wait to marinate. You cannot wait to get into the presence of God and into the word of God until life falls apart. No, you need to walk out of your door in the morning filled with his word, filled with his spirit, filled with his presence so that any of these other gospels, the political gospel, moral relativism, dead religion, intolerance, or any of the other fun ones out there right now, self-help, self-esteem, all of the fun ones, they don't make their way into your heart. They don't make their way into your gospel. It is protected. You're so full that there's not room for anything else. You need to know the truth. But knowing the truth is not enough. It wasn't enough for Paul and it's not enough for us. You, you, you don't get to be the ostrich where it just sticks your head in the sand and goes, okay, I'm just gonna, just me and Jesus. You're still in this world. You're still surrounded by voices every single day that are begging you to listen to their gospel. So in addition to knowing the truth, we need to do something very practical. With the same aggression that Paul carried himself with here in this scripture, we need to, number two, silence the preachers. Silence the preachers. Paul said, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than the one I'm preaching to you, let them be accursed. Let me ask you, who is preaching to you? Who are the preachers in your life? You are Pastor Tim. <laughs> Not what I mean. The voices that contradict the word of God. The voices that sound like they're packaged in truth, but they've actually got some deception layered in there. Who are the preachers? Because if you're going to silence them, you need to first identify them. You gotta know who you're dealing with before you shut them up. But once you know who they are, you need to silence the preachers in your life. 
And, and, and let me be honest, this is not super spiritual. This is not like, okay, I need to pray. That's not it. You don't even need to pray about this. This is probably very practical for most of us. Silencing the preachers might just be as simple as canceling cable. It might be as simple as deleting that social media app from your phone or that news app from your phone that's just barking for your attention. It might even be simpler than that. You may not even have to delete the app or take the sabbatical. You might just need to block some people on Instagram. Stop following some of those jokers. Delete their comments from your feed. Well, what if they get offended? Good. They offend you and everybody else every time that they post. So offend away, my friend. Who cares? You're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for the purity of your gospel, not for theirs. Get rid of the, sil- get rid of the preachers. Silence them. This might be literally as practical as you going, I'm gonna spend a little less time around that group of people because every time I do, I feel like a little bit of them gets into me. It might be as simple as staying away from some people who share your DNA. Yes, even your own family members when they are preaching a gospel that is contrary to the gospel of grace. But what if they get angry? Son, daughter, you are responsible for your heart. What are you willing to allow into it? You need to silence the preachers. I think if we do those two very simple things, if you'll be committed to remaining in the truth and you will silence all of the voices that speak a contradicting gospel, we will be like a pure piece of meat and salt. We will be like those who know the truth and the truth will set us free. We will not be polluted by these other propagated gospels out there that are trying to vie for our attention and destroy what God wants to do in our hearts. May we be those kinds of people. Now, one more thought before we conclude. And as I do that, I'll invite the band to come so that we can, we can wrap it up here. But there's, as it pertains to preachers, there's one more thought that I, wanna, I want us to consider. And this is one that's been messing with me for the last couple of weeks as, I, as I've been preparing this message. There's a statement that the Apostle Paul makes in this scripture that I find rather peculiar statement that doesn't seem to align with everything else that he's said in the previous verses, but one that I feel like the Holy Spirit was breathing on. And let me just say this, this might be the moment for some of us in the room today. The rest of this was entertainment for you, okay? But this is the moment I think that some people are gonna have the the light bulb, the aha moment with God, because I think this is gonna speak to some people. Look at what Paul says here in Galatians chapter one, verse eight. He says, even if I preach a different gospel. Even if I preach a different gospel. That's an odd statement from the guy who has been so incredibly aggressive about preserving the purity of the gospel to suggest that he would preach a different gospel. Why would Paul even suggest that that's a possibility? Like when I first saw that phrase, I'm like, okay, Maybe this is like one of those Mission Impossible things where like Ethan Hunt, you know, and like, I don't know, one, three, four, seven, whatever it was, where he started making all those masks that looked like different people's faces and he could walk into a place and disguise himself as someone else. Maybe that's what Paul's saying here, you know? If, if someone who looks like me and talks like me shows up to the church and, and they begin to preach a gospel that's different than the one I've preached to you, then acknowledge, hey, that's, that's, not, that's not Paul. This is, this is not his gospel and just reject that guy. But we know that's not the case. Tom Cruise was not named among the early apostles, except for in the Church of Scientology. 
So, so why, so why does Paul say this? Why does Paul even suggest that he might teach something other than the pure gospel? And as I was praying through that, the Holy Spirit dropped this phrase in my heart. And this might be for somebody here today. Here's what he said. Sometimes the preacher you need to silence is yourself. Sometimes the preacher that is preaching a gospel that is anti-grace is you. Think about Paul for a moment. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul was a zealous Christian murderer. He, he would go from city to city and place to place and arrest and kill Christians. It was actually on such an exploit on the road to Damascus that he encountered Jesus for the first time. On his way in to take out some Christians to oppose the gospel that he's now preaching, when all of a sudden, the Jesus he didn't even believe in visits him. He says, Paul, Paul, why are you, excuse me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And suddenly he has to change his theology because of an encounter with Jesus. And he went into the very same city where he intended to kill some people, to arrest some people, and he began to preach the gospel that he used to reject. But you know what happened when he began to preach that gospel? The people didn't receive it. The people said, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you to tell us about God's grace? Who are you to tell us that Jesus has forgiven us for our sin? You're the same guy that has been oppressing the church and you, you arrested my, my family members and you killed my friends. Like now you're gonna come and you're gonna preach to us? I'm sorry, Saul, we want nothing to do with your gospel. And that was not a one-time event. That happened almost everywhere that Saul stepped his foot into for the first few years of his ministry. I wonder how many times Saul laid his head on a pillow and he began to listen to his own voice. He began to listen to the same voice of the critics that said, who are you to talk about grace? There's no way God could forgive what you did. There's no way that God would give someone like you a second chance. You've actually killed Christians, Saul. Who do you think you are? I wonder how many times he became his own worst enemy as he preached to himself about why God's grace was insufficient for him. But in those moments, you know what Saul needed to do? He needed to silence the preacher. He needed to look at the man in the mirror and say, I am not receiving what you're preaching over me right now because that does not align with the true gospel. I know the Jesus I met on that road to Damascus and I know what he said over me. I remember that moment I was sitting in a church service when the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I remember that moment when I was in a puddle of tears on the floor of my bedroom and I repented for my sin. And in that moment, it was the grace of Jesus that saved me. And if his grace has saved me, it will be more than enough to sustain me. So even if the voice that is accusing me is my own. I refuse to listen to that preacher. I'm going to set my ears and I'm going to set my eyes to heaven and I'm going to listen to what Jesus has to say over my life. Some of you need to silence yourselves. Stop listening to the accusations you make against yourself and just receive His grace. It's His grace that calls you. It's His grace that saves you. And it is still His grace that will sustain you. Amen? Amen. I want to pray that over us as we conclude today. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes and I want to pray for that, that grace to wash over every heart, for that voice of accusation to be silenced. Jesus, we thank you 
for your word. We thank you for your voice. You, I thank you that you said your sheep would know your voice. We would hear when you're speaking to us. And right now, as you said in John chapter eight, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and he's the father of lies. And Maybe it's that voice that's accusing so many in this room today. I pray by the power of your spirit that you would silence our enemy, silence the accuser of the brethren, silence the adversary, and may we hear the voice of Jesus today, speaking the truth over us. You're loved, you're called, you're forgiven, you're redeemed. We hear what you're saying to the church. Tune our ears to your voice. If this is you today, just, we're taking this moment. I, I, I really want you to receive this. Holy Spirit, I pray that not just here in this room, but in a car, in a bedroom, in a cubicle at an office, in the middle of a Tuesday afternoon, that your whisper would be louder than the, the voice of the accuser. We hear you today. We hear you today. And as we wrap up here and we conclude, there's one more group of people I wanna pray for, and we do this every single weekend. We will never skip one. I wanna pray for those of us here today that might say, Tim, I, I hear what you're saying about the meat marinating and the culture that's surrounding it. And I can honestly say I've never been that pure meat. I've never been the, the one who's received the gospel for myself. And, I'm far from Jesus today and I don't wanna stay there. If that is you, I wanna make a moment for you right now to receive Jesus as your savior, to say yes to his call. And this be a private thing between you and him. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But if you know that the Holy Spirit is drawing you today and you need to make a decision to follow him, would you do me a quick favor? Would you slip your hand up and look at me before we pray so that I know who I'm praying with? Yeah, right on, man, got you. Yeah, got you, bro. Yes, got you back there. Awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. And listen, if you don't want to raise your hand, that's cool too. You can still say this prayer. I'm going I'm to pray this. You can repeat it in your heart after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life and I thank you for giving yours for mine. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Purify me today. Your word says in 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins that you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and purify me of all unrighteousness. I receive that truth today. I ask that by your grace from this day forward, you would help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways, to know your truth and to walk in it from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for every single person? Oh, come on, you can do a little better than that. That's the biggest decision of their lives. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.